Hello and welcome to a random attempt at comedy on WWSU 106.9, Dayton's Right Choice. I'm your host, Random Allen, the man who shows you that you can have a whole show based around name puns. Just kidding, we talk about movies and classic rock too. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the next hour. This week on the show, we are joined by our very special guest, Jerry Owens, several high school and WCWT alumni, and a very good friend of mine. We are talking about Marvel movies, misbehaving emus, weird mask-related fashion, and animation as a serious art form. The views and opinions expressed on Random Tented Comedy are our own and do not reflect the views and opinions of WWSU 106.9 FM or Wright State University. Enjoy Yellow Submarine by the Beatles before we cut to our first segment. Where I was born lived a man who sailed to sea and he told us of his life in the land of submarines. So we sailed unto the sun Till we found the sea of green And we lived beneath the waves In our yellow submarine We all live in a yellow submarine Yellow submarine, yellow submarine Welcome back to a random attempt at comedy, where our motto is to take an already unfunny running joke and beat it even further into the ground. This week, a random attempt at comedy is joined by our first special guest and a returning host from our days on WCWT 107.3 FM Centerville, Jerry Owens. How have you been, man? Not so bad, Mr. Random Allen. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. It's great to have you back. It's great to be back. How does it feel being on the radio again after like five years? Uh, feels like I'm back at home, to be honest with you. You know, the thing about radio was it always brought out my talkative side. And I'm just glad to be back on the air with one of my best friends. I completely understand that. Back when I first started radio, I was so introverted. I could barely, like, talk to, like, anybody on the air or off the air. But it really helped me kind of express myself and get a lot more extroverted. Well, that's the thing. We had Mrs. Raypock to help us out. About school... Junior and senior year, they were probably the most difficult years we had, and we always had a great mentor to help us through. I entirely get what you mean, because that's, that's one of the things about, like, great coaches. And in this way that Ray Pock was kind of like our coach, where she brings out the best, like, qualities in you, and she brings mm-hmm. it back to the surface. And she really did that with, like, a bunch of people in the radio programs, really found their own. Well, I think that's the thing about her, is she always acted motherly towards us. We called her Mama Pock for a reason. Yeah. If it wasn't for her, I don't think I would have made it through high school, to be honest with you. I was this close to quitting just because I, I, I couldn't deal with it. You know, you're when you're in high school, you're so emotional and you don't know how to behave or you, you're still just figuring yourself out. So it was nice to have someone who can give you advice, talk you through, give you a work schedule so you're not being distracted, not doing anything dumb. But... That's the thing. Radio class, it just really taught me how to interact with others. And whether that was a lesson intentional or inadvertent, I think I'm very thankful for it. Same here, man. Same here. Now, remember one of the things that we used to talk about a lot on our show back at Centerville? Weird news. Weird news. And we are going to cut to our next segment, Weird News Around the World. Welcome to our first segment where we talk about the odd, the unusual, and the downright strange things that happen on this big blue planet of ours. So, for our first story... 
we have a, a case of a dumb criminal. So how dumb we talking? Dumb enough to leave a winning lottery ticket behind while he's running from police. The yep. horror. So you- this Georgia man, he got stopped at a traffic stop for speeding by police. Mm-hmm. And like, it would have been like a normal situation. He would have gotten off with just maybe like a speeding ticket. But instead, he decided to jump out the car of the car and like run away into the woods because he had a backpack full of meth. And then he was he proceeded to be arrested by police. But unfortunately for this man, he left his winning lottery ticket of over $1,000 behind. And so the sheriff's office on Facebook decided to be a little bit funny, and they posted this to the suspect who ran on foot from our deputies on the traffic stop this morning on I-75. You left your winning $1,000 lottery ticket in your vehicle. You can claim your ticket at 498 Drive in Canton. It'll be waiting here for you. Congratulations, by the way. You know, that's hilarious. I feel like cops are getting more creative ever since they started using social media. I remember seeing something like that where people were smoking meth and whatnot, and then they left it somewhere. The cops ended up posting a picture on Facebook of, like, the bag of meth, and I was like, hey, if you're looking for this, please come down to the police station and claim it. But... As for losing a lottery ticket worth $1,000 when you're on meth, that's devastating. Yeah, exactly. He didn't even know that he won. He didn't know that he won? Yeah, at least they were courteous enough to um, like post it, to give it back to him whenever he gets out of jail, because he's probably in jail right now. That's the worst thing. He didn't even know that he won. He was running for it. He- exactly. Luckily enough for me, I don't play lottery enough to win anything, so I can't understand how devastating it would be to lose a ticket like that. But I have seen people, like, uh, throw away tickets that they didn't scratch all the way. I'm like, what are you doing? Scratch it. You might have won. You might have won anything. Mm-hmm. $5, $100, $1,000. You never know. Yeah. I can't even imagine what I'd do with $1,000 if I just got it for free. So, for our next story, we're talking about masks. Now, in spite of how inconvenient wearing these masks can feel sometimes, at least people are choosing to get really creative with them. I've seen masks of all different shapes, sizes, and colors, but some people go way off the wall. Everything from full plague doctor outfits, hazmat suits, plastic bags, empty water jugs, full, full like, gas masks, and, of course, the sexy plague doctor outfit. Oh, yeah. Everybody's favorite. Well, plague doctor, it's pretty cool looking, so I can't complain, but... As for all that other stuff, I've seen people take water jugs, cut them in half, put them on a face, put a strap on it. Do you not realize how ridiculous you look? Just buy just buy one of those paper masks and wear. We've seen like a lot of bizarre situations as far as like particular masks that people have come into like stores wearing. Oh, definitely. But these ones, these are my like top five extremely strange masks that people have been wearing around the world. Well, how weird can it get? I think I've seen everything so far. Oh, trust me, Jerry. It can get pretty weird. Okay. So for number five, and Jerry has a like has access to a computer with the list of these different masks on them, and he'll get he'll react for you guys because you guys obviously cannot see the masks over the air. Yeah. So this is going to be a new experience for me as we're going along. I have not seen these masks yet, but okay. Number five from Japan, pig masks. Opinion, oh. Jerry. Oh. Well, that is disturbing. It's like those it's like those horror movies where the people have animal masks and, you know, they're walking around with a butcher knife or something. It's giving me that kind of vibe, but the fact that they're just casually walking in the rain with umbrellas, it's really unsettling. It's like yeah. a cursed image. I know. It, and it's like a full pig mask too. It's not just like a mask yeah, with like it goes a pig over on it. Head. It's like a it's like a Halloween costume. I like the ears. The ears are pretty nice. I know. But whoever, the eyes. Whoever made them, they have great craftsmanship. Those eyes. <laughs> so, number four from the Philippines, cabbage masks. Now, you never know. It could work, but, yeah, I don't know about that. Because eventually, you're just going to have to buy another cabbage. Yeah. Well, one of the benefits that I can see with these is that, let's just say, hey, you're really hungry. You're in the middle of, like, a stressful work day or school day. You can just eat part of your mask. Oh, just there you the go. thing you're, you've been breathing on for 12 hours. Ugh. I mean, it's not a great option, but it's there no. for you in case you need it. I guess you're right. The funny thing is, I'd say after about three hours, your mask will start to brown up and uh, maybe wear it raw. Maybe. So number three from the United States, the inflatable polar bear costume. Oh. oh. Not just a mask, a full costume. That thing is huge. He's in an office space, right? Yes. And his head is going up. I'd say that's about a 10-foot roof from the wall. Um, yeah, he is hitting his head 
Well, it's not actual head, but his bare head. He's hitting it up against the wall. But isn't the front of it open? Yeah, it does look like it. It looks like one of those inflatable, like, lawn balloons that you put out at Christmas. Yeah, it looks like those inflatable Santas that you see all the time. Yes. The it, funny thing imagine is, wearing one of those to a dentist office. The funny thing is, I totally would do it, because I love bears, but I don't know if it's going to stop the coronavirus. I admire his creativity. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, number two, from Germany, underwear as a mask. Okay. Here is where we start hitting a little bit of the Uncanny Valley. Now, it's one thing to uh, wear cabbage. It's another thing to wear jugs. It's another thing to wear pig masks. But underwear? No, thank you. Especially if they've been used. I don't want to look at your underwear. I know. I really hope that those are his underwear and not somebody else's. Well, they but look like panties. But any kind of situation with this is very disturbing and creeping. I don't want to know. The only problem is they kind of look like panties, so I don't think they're his, <laughs> but you never know. You never know. You know, different strokes for different folks. Exactly. Okay, and for number one, from Britain, these people were on this bus with this guy who they thought he had, like, a snakeskin mask. But no, it's not a snakeskin mask. He was using a live snake. As a mask. You know, I can just picture this guy waking up in the morning super tired, uh, putting his mask next to his uh, pet snake, goes back to grab it, accidentally grabs the snake, wraps it around himself, gets halfway to work, and is like, oh no, I'm wearing a snake. I'm wearing a snake. So for our final story for, of weird news around the world, we turn our attention to Australia and hotel room destruction. Now, celebrities destroying hotel rooms and getting banned is not a new thing. No, not at all. And it can be quite a problem. Rock stars and famous actors, like, stomping around hotel rooms and destroying rooms like they own the place. But so most of these people are humans and not emus. Mm-hmm. Jerry, have you ever had problems with, like, big birds, like geese? Oh, yeah. Who hasn't? I mean, I we live in Ohio. Geese love it here. My friend Steve, he has a huge beef with geese. He calls them wing terrorists. Uh which, yeah, that could be that could be pretty accurate sometimes, I'll admit. So, in Australia, in this hotel called the Yakata Hotel, there was these two emus, Kevin and Carol, and they're rescue emus. And they're normally friendly and upstanding citizens. But you know how these things go. You have a few drinks, and right. suddenly, up the stairs, the emus went to the hotel's pub. They started, like, <laughs> eating people's French toast, eggs, and, like, stealing fries away from customers. And causing all kinds of havoc. One of these emus even managed to get behind the bar. Well, at that point, if I just saw an emu coming up and eating my French toast, I'm just going to laugh at it. Let it have it. Because I'm a huge bird lover. Um, I'll tell you pretty much anything about birds. But the thing is, if a bird just comes up to me, especially a giant bird, I'm going to give it what it wants. Because I really don't feel like picking a fight. You know, ostriches have those huge claws. They can rip you apart with yeah. just one kick. They're mean. Birds are mean, man. I mean, they are descended from dinosaurs. Yeah. So, unfortunately, after all the chaos, the hotel had to ban emus entirely. Oh. With a sign on the outside of the building reading, emus have been banned from this establishment for bad behavior. The co-owner of the Yakata Hotel, Jerry Jimblet, said, We put the sign up, but we're not quite sure whether or not they're able to read. <laughs> this is a tragic return to Australia's days of post-emu war emu discrimination, I think. Yeah, I do believe so. Emus have rights, and yeah. what they're doing is just absolutely wrong. And just because they beat the Australian military in a war doesn't mean we have to go back to those days. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just say that and not back it up with some contact. I would be happy to explain to you what I'm talking about. Oh, do go on. So back in the early 1900s, like right after the First World War, Australia had a really big emu problem. Right. And so these emus were running around the countryside, creating a bunch of havoc, like they do in hotels, apparently. The Australian government it's like, we need to get rid of these emus, so send in the military. And they sent in the military, armed with World War One weapons and machine gun. And then so, the first day, they managed to scare like the emus off with the loud noises. But the second day, the emus kind of mobilized, and they started throwing themselves at the Australian soldiers. Hey man, birds, they know how to battle. Yes, apparently they do. And then so, there was an incident with a truck with the machine gun on it, where the emus got into the wheels... And then they destroyed it, causing massive, like, casualties and injuries to the Australian military forces. And eventually it became such a, it became such a financial drain on the Australian economy. They just had to, like, throw in the tail and just say, okay, the emus can't have Australia for this year. Imagine 
you're in Australia, you're a resident of Australia, right? You decide to go into the military because you want to do something good with your life. You train for four years or more to become the perfect soldier that you are expected to be. One day you get a call. Hey, we're going out. We have a mission. Okay, cool. Hop in the car, drive down there. You realize you have to fight a bunch of birds. So you try your darndest to fight a bunch of birds and then you lose. Yeah. The shame. The shame. The person who was in charge of the whole operation was clearly fired, and he was yeah. a laughing stock for the rest of his days because he's one of the the Australian military is one of the only militaries in the world that can say they lost a war to the emus. That is ridiculous. I feel bad for them. Imagine that's your life getting made fun of because you couldn't take down some birds. They had machine guns. What are the birds using? Spunk. They are using spunk. Spunk. Okay, I can respect it. Pretty spunky. So, in spite of that tragic history, a random attempt at comedy stance is that all emus should be free to enter hotels everywhere. We're Emu taking a matter. pro-emu stance right here. And then, so, speaking about hotel destruction, members of the band who wrote our next song coming up were known for it. Have you ever heard The Who? Of course. Yeah. Who? The, fo- the Who practically invented destroying guitars and equipment on stage. So, no one was a greater hellraiser than the band's drummer, Friend of Monty Python and lovable prankster Keith Moon, who was known to blow up his drum kits with explosives, sometimes with detrimental results to himself. Hey, you know, you got to do it for the showbiz, man. Exactly. He was definitely known for leaving for his explosive personality. So Keith Moon wasn't just known for destroying his drum kits with explosives. He also liked to explode toilets at hotel rooms that the Who was staying at. So on one such occasion, lead guitarist Pete Townsend asked Keith Moon why the toilet needed to be destroyed with explosives. And then Keith showed Pete Townsend the case of cherry bombs that he was, like, keeping in his bag. Mm-hmm. So Pete Townsend said about this, needless to say, after that we got banned from every hotel we stayed at from then on. Ugh. Obviously, I mean, you ever stick a firecracker in a toilet? People tend to get pretty mad about it. Yeah, they do. <laughs> So, here's Bellboy by The Who, dedicated to Keith Moon. We miss your explosive personality, and we'll be back with our next segment, Reels and Riffs. All right. Perks. 
Welcome back to Random Tempt Company on WWSU 106.9 FM, Dane's Right Choice, where we bring you the most random entertainment out there. Now for our second segment of the night that I call Reels and Riffs, where we talk about films, movie news, and trivia. This week we are talking about some of our favorite Marvel movies, and Marvel's embarrassing distant past before the 2000s when they could do almost nothing right with live-action movies and TV shows. So, Jerry, what are some of your favorite live-action Marvel movies? I definitely have to say that the ones Katie and I watched together, both Endgame, Infinity War, and Civil War, have to be my favorites, just because you get to see the culmination of what all the movies were doing get put together into the centrifuge, nonstop action and consequences, such as what Thanos does to half the universe, and just seeing all my favorite actors come together and just make this huge motion picture, that it's stunning. It's especially impressive because back before like Iron Man, nobody thought that you could like major studios didn't think you would be able to do something like this, have an actual team up movie with multiple movies kind of building on it. Right. People tried to do it before, but Iron Man when they were setting up that Avengers thread, they're like, ah, it will kind of fizzle out. But then we got the Avengers, we got like the Marvel Phase Two movies, and there's so much build up there. You see these characters go through so much, almost like you're watching a TV show, right? Where you know these characters, you they have a lot of development throughout the movies and seeing that like culminate in like an epic conclusion like it did i thought they did that really well and it's nice to see that movies are moving more from just being a one-off kind of series then we started moving towards movies all being interconnected together especially the marvel ones marvel are all interconnected in some way shape or form and nowadays you have to Nowadays, you get to sit and wait for after the credits in most Marvel movies, and there will be a secret ending or a little secret epilogue that you can watch, and it explains what's going to happen for the next movie. It gives you, like, a little hint. So I'm just glad that movies are going more for, like, a series kind of thing instead of just being a one-off standalone kind of uh, experience. So... I'm certainly happy that Marvel is doing this, and they have executed that extremely well, especially more than, let's just say, DC, who was trying to do something similar, but they didn't quite get off the ground. No, I think their problem was they were just trying to be way too serious with uh, their movies, because Marvel movies, they have fun in them, and in DC, it's all serious, brooding darkness. Now, Jerry, I want to take you back in time 
to okay. before the 2000s, before Marvel was doing as well as they are right now. Okay. Back in the day, before AX-Men, before the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, back in a time when DC was on the top of the comic book movie world. On the other hand, Marvel had the Incredible Hulk with Lou Ferrigno and not much else. Now, they did try. They did try to um, introduce more heroes and have more of an expanded universe, but it did not go well. Yeah. Like, back in 1977, where America released their Spider-Man series. So, the original Spider-Man show was... It suffered from poor effects. It suffered from a lack of budget. And overall, it was just very boring. It lasted two years, which is more than you can say for a lot of these properties. And so... I've given Jerry um, a little bit of a taste of what some of these shows look like. He has access to some of the footage from some of these shows. Okay. And what's your opinion on the 1977 Spider-Man show? From what I can see so far, it definitely looks like the costume department was lacking budget. His eye holes, the parts of his eyes are supposed to be white, just completely cut out. Um, it looks like he's standing in front of a couple of towers about to drop a sick hip-hop album. And on the third one, he is shooting a strand of rope at a bad guy in an attempt to web him up. Because as we all know, Spider-Man's major power is shooting rope at people. And so what you could do, what you could do is what Japan did around the same time. And instead of going with like the boring route, you could go with the completely insane route of essentially making Spider-Man a Power Rangers-esque like superhero with a giant robot. Which is exactly what Japan yeah, did. Speaking of uh, Power Rangers-esque Spider-Man. We okay. have Spider-Man Spider from Japan in 1975. So their version of Spider-Man, there was a Japanese version of Spider-Man running along the same time as like the American version of Spider-Man that was running back in the 70s. And then so this Spider-Man was a little bit different. The main character, he wasn't a nerdy reporter. He wasn't even Peter Parker. He was this motocross racer who got into an accident, met a dying alien like he was Green Lantern. From <laughs> The dying alien was from Planet Spider, because of course he was. And he wanted um, the, I think his name is Tachiya, to continue his mission of revenge against the evil intergalactic forces. So this Spider-Man, he has a flying car that can dock into his giant robot. He... Guns down criminals with a machine gun. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, first of all, Spider-Man or Spider-Man with a machine gun is easily one of the funniest things I have ever seen. It's just so out of character for him to be using a gun. I, I mean, I guess it's technically a different Spider-Man, but it's just weird. And Opinions on, on what you see, Jerry. Yeah, second of all, Spider-Man with a giant mech suit, that's, uh, I don't know. Just because you can doesn't always mean you should. But I like the cool poses he does on top of the mountains and whatnot that just scream, this is a Saturday morning TV show. Yeah, that's one of the things that Spider-Man in this show constantly does Power Ranger poses. And for a while there, he was he was missing his like catchphrase that he would say at like the end of every episode. But eventually he nailed it down. And this is one of the funnier aspects of the show because Spider-Man's catchphrase in the show is, Emissary from hell, Spider-Man. Pretty hardcore. Yeah, I know. You would never see the American Spider-Man say that, and that's saying something. And one final thing about this is I definitely like his uh, design. It's a little bit more interesting than just, you know, your generic Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, and he slaps people. You know, it's. It, I think they knew that this wasn't super serious, and they just kind of wanted to have fun with it, which is something I respect. You got to have fun with what you're making. Now, as far as this show goes, it has a lot of... It's essentially like Power Rangers if you had Spider-Man in it. He fights Godzilla reject monsters that then, like, turn giant, and then he fights them with his giant robot, which during the second half of the show, most of the giant robot footage was entirely stock footage because yep. somebody stole the giant robot suit, which I don't know how you steal a giant robot suit from a major Japanese studio. Piece Probably a large piece. trench coat. Piece by piece. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, so moving on, the next movie I want to talk about, and this is where we get into some of the really bad territory. Oh, boy. Is Captain America 1 and 2. You've seen Captain America 1 and 2, haven't you, Jerry? I wouldn't be an American if I hadn't. Well, I'm not talking about the first Avenger or the Winter Soldier. Those are good movies. 
I'm talking about Captain America and Captain America 2 Death Too Soon from the 1970s. These were made for TV movies, and they were intended to hopefully start a series for Captain America, but they did not because they were really bad. It looks goofy. It just looks goofy. Um, First of all, I'm just going to dissect this. This picture uh, over here, his shield is see-through. It still has the uh, star on it, and it still has the two red circles, but it is completely see-through. It it looks like a piece of plastic. Costume looks like he threw it together in five. He looks more like a daredevil than anything. He's got the bicycle helmet and the shades, and he, he's wearing the cheesy outfit. My favorite part has to be the fact that the wings on his hat are painted on, and in the next couple of pictures in the second movie, they actually got the budget to put some on his actual helmet. Yeah, I want to stun you silly, because for as silly as his costume looks, how long do you think he was in the costume in the first movie? Oh. You know, with most oh, superhero no. movies, maybe they get in costume like halfway through, uh-huh. you know, maybe an hour in. In the two-hour movie, he does not suit up and become Captain America until the last 15 minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And furthermore, he doesn't fight anybody. I would feel so cheated. Yeah. I would demand a refund from the cinema. And the biggest thing about this is he never throws his shield. Yeah, in the first one, it looks like he never throws his shield. In the second one, he starts throwing it, but it you can tell that it is on a wire moving so slow. Like, there's this one scene where he's throwing his shield. It does a boomerang and comes back and hits the guy in the back, and you can watch it for, like, five seconds slowly flying towards him like a saucer and then just bonk right in the head, a little tiny, little tiny bump, and the guy falls down. It looks like a cheap Frisbee. It, it, it's very sad. I do believe it is a cheap Frisbee. And then, so the majority of the first movie is spent with Steve Rogers, not as Captain America, in a white polo shirt, cruising along in a panel van. Eventually, he does upgrade to a super panel van, but Steve Rogers, played by Red Brown, who, if you don't know, he was an action star in a lot of knockoff action movies. Right. He's kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger if you take away his acting talent. Which that's saying a lot. Mm. He just kind of screams a lot. Yeah. But in this movie, he doesn't even do that. He just um, leisurely cruises around and he complains a lot. So one of the good things about number two, it does have more action, mm-hmm. bad action, but it has more action. And it has Christopher Lee. You know Christopher Lee. He's an acclaimed actor. He's Saruman in Lord of the Rings. He's Count Dooku. He made. He was famous for being tra- Count Dracula in the seventies. Oh 70s. yeah, I loved him as Count Dooku. And then so. He's an acclaimed actor, but around this time, he was kind of strept for work, so he's right. like, eh, hey, I'll be in this cheap Captain America. And he's still Christopher Lee, but in this movie, he's more of a like a cheesy Bond villain who wants to make everybody super old with this agent serum that he's like made, Full and he gets like, beat up by Captain America. You know, as long as you're having fun with it, because when it comes to these low-budget TV shows slash movies, if, if your characters are not being played by someone who is absolutely enjoying themselves you can you can really tell them the show suffers for and it does look like they're having fun if they're having fun with it it can be enjoyed in a so bad it's good kind of way of course so the final embarrassing slash bad marvel property i'd like to talk about is the fantastic four movie by roger corman oh boy the underdogs huh Yep, the underdogs. They cannot get a break. And it's sad because they're my dad's favorite superhero team. He was reading them back in the 60s. And they're Marvel's, like, first superhero team. But, like, we have those early, we have those movies in the early 2000s, which were mediocre but passable. We had the movie in 2015, which was extremely boring. It was filmed entirely in front of a green screen. None of the actors cared. And it had some good actors. Like, it had Michael B. Jordan, who was really good in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. But even he couldn't save that movie. It's so funny, looking at the characters right now of the Fantastic Four. The Thing looks like he's been constipated for most of his life. He, he, he just has that face that screams, get me out of this costume. Most of them just look like a modern family dressed as superheroes. And then we have Doctor Doom, which actually looks super cool. He has spikes coming out of his fingers. and he's got His mask actually looks pretty good, too. I say that the costume design put all their work towards the thing, unfortunately, and Doctor Doom. And, like, it, the one good thing I will say about this movie is that they kind of did Doctor Doom right. I mean, he's yeah. actually Doctor Doom, unlike in the 2015 one, which fan-four stick. They had, like, the four in the middle of the Fantastic. It was stupid. Oh, yeah. But 
But so this movie was never released because it was so bad it almost tanked the company that made it. New. That's a shame because wow. I totally would have watched something like this. I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it, but just the effects are hilarious. I'm watching uh, Mr. Fantastic punch Dr. Doom. His fist slowly flies out, stretches, and it doesn't even hit the guy. He just You can tell he jumped back to pretend taking the blow, but it's just it's perfect. At least they're having fun with it. They're it having it fun looks like with it could it. be an enjoyable watch. We will be back after a short commercial break. When a random attempt at comedy returns, we will be talking about animation and video games as a serious art form. See you then. Are you a formally acclaimed actor down on your luck? Was your last good movie over 20 years ago? Well, why don't you try Washed Up Actors Anonymous? Our 12-step program has the most qualified specialists to get you back on track to making a good movie again. Hi, my name is Nick. Hi, Nick. You know, I don't know where it all went wrong, guys. One minute, I was winning an Academy Award for leaving Las Vegas, and the next, I'm seeing invisible iguanas and trying to steal the Declaration of Independence. I think you're forgetting something, Nick. Do we need to talk about the bees? No, Dave. We don't need to talk about the bees. It was a deleted scene, okay? Does anybody even still remember the Wicker Man? You know, I only have two modes, Dave. Whispering and screaming. It's my method. I, I don't get paid enough for this. Washed Up Actors Anonymous. The one place where we don't judge you for your bad role choices. Unless you were in Ghost Rider 2. Hey, come on, man. It wasn't that bad. You were peeing fire in the movie, Nick. Moving on. Some actors just need a slight push in the right direction. This city, I just showed you. It's full of people. Ready to watch my movies. God, I need a glass of water. Christian, stop doing the Batman voice. It sounds like you smoked a whole Marlboro factory. It's been seven years since the last Batman movie. What is wrong with you? You're such jealous of my beautiful singing voice. Somewhere. Oh, no, no, not again. Stop, stop singing. And some actors just need a little push to get back in the game. All right. Would you like to introduce yourself, sir? Hello. My name's Hank Hill. Hi, Hank. Now, it's really hard for me to be here. I, I had to give up propane and start using charcoal, but I missed my friends. Boomhauer's a Texas Ranger. He never told us for like 10 years. Dale's on an iron lung because he smoked too many cigarettes. Bill's still in a deep depression, and I don't want to talk about John Redcorn. John Redcorn is Joseph's father. I had to tell Dale. <laughs> and some actors need some special attention. Introduce yourself, Mr. Connery. That's sure Sean Connery to you. I was knighted. I used to be James Bond, for God's sake. I was so cool. I was voted sexiest man of the century. I'm distinguished. But you were also Zardoz. Hey, don't make me come over there, David. I've been in tons of amazing movies, like Hunt for Red October with Alec Baldwin, where I played a Russian submarine captain. They still let me keep the accent for some reason. They always let me keep the accent. Or the movie where I played that immortal guy who fights people with swords. The first one was good, but the second one was stupid. Sean, do we need to talk about Lord of the Rings? I was getting to that, Dave. That was one of the biggest mistakes of my career. I'd never heard of it, and they wanted me to play a wizard with a bunch of short people. And then suddenly it makes a bunch of money. How was I supposed to know? Then I told myself, Sean, you're Sean Connery. Whatever role comes up next, you take it. Even if you don't know what it is. And I did. It was some comic book called League of Extraordinary People or whatever. And the movie was awful. I will never act again because of that atrocity. Well, you know what they say, Sean. Never say never again. That's no, it. No, 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 no. Washed up actors anonymous. We are here for you. Disclaimer. Results may vary. Welcome back to a random attempt at comedy. And for our main story tonight, we are going to talk about art and the media art is presented through. Can stuff like animation and video games ever rise to the status of a true adult medium to tell real, serious stories through? Now, personally, I'm going to say yes, and Jerry's going to say... Short answer, yes. Long answer, here's the deal. Art is something that invokes emotion within us all. What is art to you and what is art to me is all dependent on how we feel about it. Art can be anything from making a stop motion film to animating a video game. Because there are some jaw-dropping video games out there. The scenery, the story, 
Everything just culminates together to make this one big masterpiece that makes you feel so many things. Because there are antagonists in video games that genuinely make you angry. And there are moments, say, a character dies that genuinely make you sad. It's the beauty of being able to invoke our humanity that makes these things art. I entirely agree. And the medium should not affect the way that you see an art form from the outset. Like, animation and video games have made huge strides, and especially in the last 30 years, in terms of storytelling, visual style, and the kind of emotions they present within. But this, I still see this pushback from a certain group of people. With animation, it's a bit less so nowadays, because you have right. things like movies from Pixar, from DreamWorks, that get these, like, really high awards, like at the Academy Awards or the Oscars, and they're treated with respect. Well, the thing is, you see these old Disney cartoons that were hand-drawn, cel-shaded, and everything, and the motions are so fluid, and they just capture what it is they are trying to cap. They keep it very simplistic with an art style, but yet when the characters are simplistic, but the backgrounds, they throw so much detail in there, and they never stop to make you sit there and focus on what you're seeing. Yeah, and really glad that movies are movie companies sticking with animation, because it shows me that people are interested in these things. And I think people are progressively starting to move more towards a liking towards animation. I mean, look at Western culture now. We're starting to introduce a lot of uh, Japanese shows and people love them. People absolutely love animes. I'd say some of my favorite shows are actually not from the U.S. I love stuff like One Punch Man, Dragon Ball. I still love these shows dearly because they captured so much and would you say that any of these shows that you love so much are made less so by being animated? Or do you think that they're actually improved by being animated? The way they wanted to convey their message, I just can't imagine someone doing it in live action. It just doesn't seem possible. One of the interesting things in regards to this is I feel like there's an attitude where animation can, like, especially with major studios, animation usually isn't an end onto itself. You see this a lot with the Disney remakes or when somebody tries to make a remake of some popular animated show like Avatar or Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Evolution. Oh, yeah, Avatar, Avatar is mine, one of mine and Katie's favorite shows just because it takes the Eastern style of drawing and puts it in a Western environment. It's created by people from the U.S., but it takes inspirations from across the seas. And the way they tell that story, it, look, you've seen the live-action Avatar movie. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. It has to be in the form it comes with because it is more beautiful and understandable that way. They tried to make a movie about Avatar. Fitting all that story into an hour and a half, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all because you're fitting essentially, I think the first season is around like, um, I'd give it like, I'd say like eight hours in total right. and trying to fit every single at like every single part, like important part of that season into like an hour and a half. You just can't do it because you end up in a situation where all the characters, all the characters say is like exposition because they have to explain all this stuff because they don't have time to actually have character development, make the characters likable. And it just ends up being a like, like a pale comparison to the actual original show. And animation, especially recently, has advanced a lot. And even like animation for kids, so it's right. considered for kids, are still approaching a lot of mature topics. Like Avatar, for example, it approaches stuff like multiculturalism, PTSD, life and death, Makes Legend of Korra, the sequel. It talks about identity, sexuality, stuff like Steven Universe, Adventure Time. Like on the surface, these look like just shows for kids, but they are exploring a lot of like mature topics. Like, a lot of topics that are important to everybody, and they're doing it in a very, like, mature way that you wouldn't find even in a lot of live-action shows. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this, Mr. Random. I would rather sit through a slow season of Avatar than sit through a exposition-filled hour-and-a-half movie about Avatar. It's just the way that is. But... The thing I love most about those shows is like what you were talking about. They touch on subjects that are real to us, and they still manage to make it fun and entertaining. And I, that's why I do believe that animation is art, because it inspires people. And when you inspire people to make something, that is when you've contributed in your life. I entirely agree. And it does seem like, on the whole, animation 
is starting to get recognized as a serious medium to tell stories. More so in the East than in the West, but the West is starting to catch up. There still is sometimes that stigma of, oh yeah, it's a cartoon, it's only for kids, but I feel like it is starting to improve as far as that goes. But in regards to video games, I feel like we have a lot more work to do getting video games to be as accepted a medium to tell something like like a serious emotional story and be taken seriously than we do of animation, which is already starting to like become normalized let me spin it for you real quick video games are just art you can interact with that's the way i look at them because each of them has their own story their own way of conveying messages their own way of inspiring whether it's creativity it's fear it's sadness they make you feel something and they get you attached to characters and the constant threat of having those characters die or get ripped away, it really makes you feel more human. I can't understand why people argue that video games are violent and not art. Because have you ever played a video game? I don't most think of these have. people most of these people I don't think they have. And it's one of those situations where like back in the day, a lot of media has had to kind of like climb up through the ranks and to be taken Absolutely. seriously. Everything from movies, like movies when they first started, they are seen as a very low class art form. People didn't think movies could be art. The original theaters were seen as as a place for poor people to go and it was considered embarrassing to go there. Actors, they were embarrassed to be actors. They didn't want to tell their parents. They it was this really low brow kind a gig but nowadays we have like so many directors like Christopher Nolan Stanley Mm. Kubrick Steven Spielberg pushing the the media of film to a high art and you have that with music too where so like back when like rock and roll started to become popular there's a large pushback by like the older generation saying oh this is going to make like our kids like unruly rock and roll black sabbath exactly list goes on even like the Beatles, there were so many Beatles songs. Like in my life, one of my favorite Beatles songs was censored and was not allowed to be played on BBC because it had what may have been considered a drug reference. Even John yeah. Lennon, who's admitted certain songs have drug references in them, said it's not, but they just, you know, wanted to censor it anyway. And look at modern day uh, rock music. Most of it is drug references or sex references. Uh, that's just the formula for making rock music exactly but the thing is whenever there is something new in this world there's going to be friction against it people do not like change all that much on a general basis individually people can like change or they cannot like change but in a group situation most people will agree that it's harder to understand something that you're new to and i understand that but that doesn't give you the right to not be accepting and give it a try i think that's where a lot of the and you gotta you gotta admit a lot of these people who are against video games are a little bit on the older side you know they grew up in a time before video games and computers and whatnot so it's hard for them to understand and that's not that they hate it for no reason they just they can't comprehend yeah, they like fear what they don't understand they fear what they don't we're like at the start of like video games you have like stuff like pac-man which is very mm. enjoyable it's very engaging gameplay but nowadays you have these games that can actually actually present very emotional, heart-wrenching, inspiring stories. One of the I don't play games that much anymore because I'm too busy. Yeah, but one of the more recent games that I played that really stuck with me was Silent Hill 2, which trying to keep spoilers aside because I want our listeners to check this out and play it however they can is essentially it's an older horror game where it's exploring a man's grief from losing his wife. And a lot of the horror elements in the game are related to like that like the psychological issues that this guy is going through is like about this person going through this horrible experience. And all these monsters that he see are actually what they appear to be. They're a part of him. Yeah. It does have some like fighting mechanics and stuff, but that's not the core of the game. The core of the game is like the storyline and experiencing this person's grief and going through his journey to try to come to some kind of like consensus about it. Well, it makes you feel about I'm I mean, I'm sure you've lost someone important to you before. It makes you feel that way. We've all lost someone important to us, and that game plays on that emotion. Exactly. It it perfectly encapsulates what it feels like to be, you know, alone now because you lost somebody you actually cared about. It make it brings out those ugly feelings of resentment and hatred for the world because you no longer have something that you love. And for people to just blindly at the gate 
because like games can do a lot like there are a lot of there are popcorn like movie like games pod or like games are across the spectrum for a while there especially during the early 2000s there were people in the media saying oh games are murder simulators games are porn simulators because they had violence or sex in them you when you watch um like halloween for example when you watch the movie halloween do you instantly go to the costume store grab a mask and a butcher's knife and go after people no of course not they're not criticizing how those elements were used in that game for example the game that they were attacking mass effect which i haven't played but i've heard a lot of good things about it's a pretty good the the sexual aspect of is from the relationship you can develop with some of the like npcs it's not a porn simulator yeah but because it approached the subject they're just like no this is for kids so you can't do that i think a lot of people had problems because you were able to start dating like aliens and whatnot. And I think it was just a little too progressive for some people and they didn't like it. But you can't make the argument that uh, you need to protect your kids because if you're making that argument and you're buying these games for your child, you are the problem. Exactly, because there is a rating system. A kid can't buy like a mature rated game on his own. A parent has to buy, like, if a parent is buying him, like, complaining about GTA or complaining about, like, COD, they bought that game for him, most likely. And you don't see, you don't see this kind of situation where if a parent bought, like, Goodfellas or Scarface or Clockwork Orange for their kid, you don't see them screaming at Stanley Kubrick, Al Pacino, and being like, your movie turned my kid into a monster. But with video games, it's, there's so many people who just, like, stop it at the gate and say, this is essentially a child. This is a children's toy. You're not allowed to talk about serious issues. And right. I'm not saying that some games can't do it badly. Like there are games that handle those issues poorly. There are like horrible propaganda games. But it's a spectrum, like there, like it is for any other medium. Of course, there's there's good art and there's bad art. As there's good games and there's bad games. But the thing that always bothered me. People don't read the ratings. They don't nope. They don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. In GTA, there's so many kids. And you can kill hookers and do other unspeakable things. Open fire on a crowd, steal cars. There are kids in those. And there's not supposed to be. I'm not saying it's going to turn them into monsters, but they're definitely not supposed to be playing those games. Exactly. In the same way that they, they shouldn't be watching movies with some of that subject matter. It's, it's a case of bad parenting, in my opinion. Oh, I could go they on didn't and actually on. Look, they didn't actually like look at what they were buying their kid. They're just yep. like, it's video games, so it's for kids. Ridiculous. My biggest thing is I hate when people unilaterally condemn media from the outside without actually like judging it based on merit. And if we've learned anything, all these other respected media that we consume like on a daily basis have had to go through over their history is that having that like in their fight to get respected that mentality that you know from the outset this can't be art it's shameful and wrong and what's wrong with art being geared towards children aren't they the ones we want to inspire the most exactly and i believe that nobody who doesn't make art should be in a position to limit its potential in that way no no one has the right to say what is and isn't art anything could be art so that's our show, folks. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Jerry, it was great having you back. How did it feel to be back? It felt fantastic. I'm happy to be here with you, man. It was great having you on the show. You have an open invite to come back whenever you want, even if we have a guest. Right on, right on. So this has been a Random Tempted Comedy on WWSU 106.9. Like and follow Random Tempted Comedy on Facebook. Subscribe to Random Tempted Comedy on Spotify and Google Music for this episode and more. Any shout-outs or plugs, Jerry, before we leave? I'd like to shout-out to my fiance Katie, who has given me the inspiration to come out and do this today, and to both her family and mine. Thanks for listening, folks. Tune in next Wednesday from 4 to 5 on WWSU 106.9, Dane's Right Choice. Thank you, and good night. Peace.